Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie here with the American Spectator and of course joined with contributing editor Scott McKay of Reviver.com and The Hayride. And also today we have a special guest, a writer for the American Spectator and also a writer for the Family Research Council. Did I get that right, Sam? Does Sam Samuel McCarthy? No, okay. And uh, so today we brought Sam on to give some great insight. He writes often, if you want to see his work, he writes often on Sundays for the American Spectator. We have the weekend, week, the weekend visitor, the Sunday visitor. And so we, if you don't know, if you've only, which I doubt this is the case, but if you just watch our podcast and you don't go to our website often, I would suggest that you come on the weekends because we often cover religious and cultural topics that may not get covered during the week. And Sam is a big part of that. So welcome, Sam. Thank you for being here. Thanks very much for having me on. And I'm really happy to be here with you guys. You're so, overdressed, though, just so you'll know. He's making up look bad, Scott. I'm, I'm that guy who would show up to, I was that student in eighth grade who would show up to class wearing a tweed jacket with elbow patches. So it's, Oh, no, you're that guy. It's totally showing up the teacher if you do that. You, you didn't get bullied enough? That's What I hear, Sam, is that you just didn't get bullied enough. <laughs> I, I I welcomed it. it it's helped forge my my taste for adversity. So, <laughs> well, then you're here in the right profession. Then, so, yeah. um, you we were discussing, and you have written, and Scott, you have written about this topic where we had a congressperson who was chastising a former Trump staffer, and, and this is also a former Trump staffer who's doing it, the, um, the, the criticizing, basically um, saying that Christian dogma, basic Christian dogma is bigoted. Um, Scott, why don't you start and kind of lay the table for about this? Right. Uh, so Lizzie Marbach, who is the... Um, uh, until recently was the communications director for Ohio Right to Life. And as you pointed out, was a was a Trump staffer in 2020, um, you know, has a, a really active Twitter account. And she, you know, she does a lot of, you know, professions of Christian faith as, as some of the stuff that she does. And she put out a tweet, uh, I guess this is uh, middle of last week. Basically saying, you know, look, there's there's no source of hope out there other than Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what she said. And so Max Miller, who was also a Trump staffer in 2020, is a newly elected Republican congressman from Ohio, um, whose wife is on the board of Ohio Right to Life, which ended up being sort of an unfortunate, I think, coincidence. Um pops off with a response essentially saying, you know, because he's Jewish, he says, you know, well, Jews are the chosen, chosen people. We have no hope. And then he says, you need to delete this. It's bigoted, blah, blah, blah. Well, this set off a colossal firestorm. It didn't help that uh, Marbach was in the process of getting terminated as the communications director for Ohio Right to Life, ostensibly because of other things. Um and then this just happened to come along right when she was getting her termination letter. Miller's wife is on the board. So the optics of this worked out either rightly or wrongly 
that he got her fired because she did a profession of Christian faith. Um, so, you know, it was either super unwise for him, plus he's unlucky or super unwise for him because he's evil and stupid. Um, one of the two is true. Maybe both are true. I don't know. But I think congressman, I think it's fair to say he's evil and stupid. Well, um, you said that, I so I didn't have to, and so uh, I don't care. I'm tired of these people. So, and it's such a rookie mistake that he made, and and so inherently obnoxious that you know. I mean, put it this way: you can be Jewish, but if you are a Republican member of Congress, you got elected because of Christians, right? I mean, that's, I think it's safe to say, right? I mean, that, those are the people that you have to have vote for you. If you, I mean, first of all, to get the Republican nomination, you need that. And second of all, to get elected, you need to turn those people out. Um, I think it's fair to say he's probably not politically viable anymore. And it's probably right that he's not. You know, my take on this, though, that I have at the American Spectator today is simply that, you know, we can't have this kind of shooting inside the tent when it's totally meaningless. And what this represents is victimhood culture. I mean, I, Melissa, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, sort of this societal evolution that we've had um, over, you know, millennia where, you know, we used to Western civilization at one time was sort of an honor culture where, you know, if you, if you slighted somebody, if you said something mean about some guy's wife, if you, you know, you called somebody a crook or whatever, like, you know, pistols at dawn were pretty likely to be the consequences of that. And, you know, it was a little bit of a brutal thing, but it did sort of regulate people's conduct because you did have to, at times, stop and say, is this really worth having to kill someone or get killed over? And the answer is probably not. So I don't know that I'm going to say it. Well, uh, I mean, even in a lighter version of that, it, you know, the expectation that you might get a good ass picking did help, right. you know, regulate behavior. You didn't have to get killed. Even, even when we were kids, you pop off at the mouth, you're likely going to, you know, have to defend yourself in some form or fashion. Before uh, before we go too far, though, Sam, you had a different take on this, and I'm, I really um, enjoyed your piece written about this. Why don't you tell our viewers what your thoughts are? Sure. Well, th thanks for uh, thanks for enjoying the piece. Um, yeah, I th I think you know, like you, you mentioned, you know, the term the term rookie mistake, you know, and I I think you know Scott's dichotomy with the idea of you know either this was like you, you know, uh, uh, a hapless mistake, or this was, you know, stupid and evil. I think really, if you examine what Miller himself actually said, it trends more toward stupid and evil. He tells uh, a woman who is a, a U.S. citizen, she's not, uh, she's a civilian. She's not serving in government. She holds no position of, you know, a government or bureaucratic authority. She She's a former Trump staffer, that's about as close as she's gotten to any position of governmental authority. She makes uh, really the most basic profession of Christian faith, mm -hmm. which is there's no salvation without Christ. The, the entirety of Christianity is, is predicated on that idea, right. on that basic truth. Mm -hmm. And he not only does he does he say, oh, this is bigoted, you know, which like, 
okay, I, I can get like how you who don't believe that would say that, but then go ahead, have a debate about it, you know, uh, the, go, go into theology at that point, you're debating theology. Mm -hmm. Instead, he says, this is an attack on religious liberty, which it, it's not, it's, it's the basic profession of Christian faith. It's not an attack on religious liberty. She has no authority to, she's not calling for, you know, suppression of any other religion. She's not saying, you know, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, you guys leave the country. This is Christian territory. She's simply saying, you know, if you want eternal salvation, which is something that no government has control over, you, you need Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. No, I'm just and he's in government and tells her, delete this. Right. This is an attack on religious liberty. Delete it. He's telling her that her basic profession of her faith has to be deleted while saying, I'm defending religious liberty. The, the hypocrisy of this is, is rank. And I think really speaks to that idea of it, it's not just a matter of like a rookie mistake. It really is stupid and evil in some sense, you know, For, to so blatantly make that kind of a, a logical fallacious blunder. And then to, to just try to suppress it, basically the most the most commonly professed religious belief in the united states right. it, it's just it just boggles my mind so i this, I, I tend well this on the right uh, sam sorry to cut you off but this this is on the right this is not some lefty saying this yeah now we have seen this on the left and we have seen a kind of a progression of intolerance to christianity generally and there have been so many attacks, both here and in Canada, throughout Europe. Paris is having a church burned on average once to twice a week. I mean, this is not something that's theoretical. You know, Nigerian um, Christians are being burned alive. This is something that is real. And then to um, basically say, just to profess the foundational belief, which is salvation through Christ alone, uh, is is somehow bigoted um, speaks to where the culture has gone even on the right, that something so fundamental that so many uh, Americans um, hold to or have is, uh, you know, a um, Jewish congressman feels free to, who is a conservative, feels free to tell someone um, to shut up basically so not only is he violating her her speech rights or trying to um, with his authority, but also is just being a complete bigot himself. You know, like yeah. the, the thing is, is this, if this offends you, you know, put a cork in it. There's plenty in other religions that offend me. I'm not going to go into uh, some uh, Hindu friend or a Muslim friend or a Jewish friend and basically tell them to delete their um, tweets because of what they believe you know it's the the arrogance of it is just really kind of breathtaking well and let me let me jump back in here because the point i was making about how we used to have an honor culture christianity um and judeo-christianity if you want um drove societal evolution away from the honor culture piece into more of a dignity culture where instead of giving somebody an ass kicking for uh saying something that was slighted you know maybe you sue them or or there's some sort of appeal to a third party 
that's a nonviolent response to something that's um, that's. But now that we're starting to get away from Christianity, we're in a post-Christian society. We've now progressed to a victimhood culture, where that third-party appeal is now no longer in uh, recompense for an injury, but instead is a profession of its own. Um, you know, cultural superiority or moral superiority, which is what Max Miller did, right? This is bigoted. You can't pro pro uh, profess your faith because it's not mine. And therefore, you know, I have some sort of moral. In other words, the point is, is that he is now adopting the, uh, the, the construct of the side that hates Judeo-Christianity mm -hmm. in order to win a, an argument on Twitter, which is, like totally unacceptable. My guess is he didn't even know he was doing it, um, which is why you should always think before you tweet, um, because the, the like there's no thought behind this. But the effect of it is is basically a cultural surrender, and everybody on the left had to look at this and just absolutely have a ball. Ilan Omar took up for Lizzie Marbach and basically just completely dressed Max Miller down. Um, that was a surprise. And it's one of these, oh, my God, are we really going to let Ilan Omar come in and play moral authority on a an internecine fight among conservatives? Like, that is such a colossal own goal. It's not even remotely close to acceptable. Um, and you know, and this it, is not a big I just, Sorry, if I can just really quickly, speaking to what, to what you were just saying. I, I think really with that idea of the victimhood culture, his terminology really plays into this. Cause like, you know, uh, Melissa, you were just saying, you know, if, if one of my like Hindu friends says something that I don't agree with, you know, if, if I have, cause I, I've got plenty of friends who have, you know, theological or philosophical positions that I don't agree with, I'm going to tell them that they're wrong. And then I'm going to debate them in the terms right. of that, you know, whatever theology or philosophy, but I'll use the term you're wrong. You're incorrect as opposed to you're bigoted. He's using that that right. terminology, that not of you're wrong. It's not a matter of, you know, you're right, you're wrong. It's a matter of I'm offended. It's a matter of you, you need to just sit down and shut up, not because what you're saying is wrong, but because it hurts my feelings or it hurts somebody else's feelings. You know, and he, he points out, you know, that, uh, that like, like you noted, Scott. A yeah. culture and a victimhood culture right there in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. Yeah, That's exactly. It's, it's also plays into that idea of, you know, because that that what you're talking about with um like the the old fighting over things the duels and such you know uh, I I personally really like that idea but the the only issue with it is that you're then playing in a field of might makes right whoever's strongest whoever's faster with the sword who may not be the person who's got the moral high ground whoever's fastest with the sword or quickest draw wins you know and so i think that really with with the christian worldview is this attempt to shift it to a matter of no might doesn't always make right the ends don't always justify the means we need to shift it onto territory where you can actually seek out that which is most important which is truth and as soon as you start throwing around terms like oh you're a bigot you're a bigot you're a bigot you're no longer interested in what's true you're not saying you're wrong that's not true you're saying you're bigoted, whether it's true or not, I don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's it, the argument then is you're bad, I'm good. And yeah. in a, and 
So because you're bad, and this is like the leftist worldview, which is why they have no problem shutting down speakers on college campuses, no problem shouting down um, people who are protesting, who they disagree with, you know, screaming in their face, blowing whistles, whatever. They're trying to shut down the speech because those people are bad, or we call them bigots, or we call them racist, or we call them fascists. And, and that way we are exempted from having to listen to any argument or engage at all in the ideas that's, that are presented. And here we have a sitting Republican congressman who thinks that is a-okay. If we were out on the street, he would be the guy who, you know, the guy with the placard on saying, you know, get right with the Lord, Jesus uh, saves, and, you know, the end is nigh. He would be telling that guy he's a bigot. Because that's what, you know, Twitter is this, the, the uh, digital marketplace of ideas. And, you know, there's people walking around with weird placards all over the place. And so this, you know, idiot congressman is going to be what the the Twitter police. He's going to tell the public square what they can and cannot say. And yeah. as a member of the government, it's partic particularly noxious. And for him to have so little awareness of himself, it was quite the tell, actually. And he does not deserve to be elected, and he should be gone. I, I when I saw the whole thing, I was just incensed. I was like, this from a you know, all I could think of is like, dude, if this were on the other foot, you know where this this thinking leads to, my guy? You of all people should have some idea of what happens when people make these kind of arguments, blanket arguments about a group of people who the uh, majority don't like their ideology. Hmm, what's happened before when this has happened? And for him to say that and have zero self-awareness, he does not deserve to be an elected member of Congress. And so like, I, I was just, and this is a problem. I have seen this with some libertarians on the right a couple of years ago, had this discussion because people were talking about laws. It, it was specifically when the transgender thing was starting to kind of come to the fore. And Christians were objecting, um, obviously, because they believe God made us male and female and that children should not be, you know, carved up in the name and service of some wacko lefty ideology. And the defense was made um, that, well, that's bigoted. Well, really? And so Christianity at its core is just a bigoted ideology and he didn't respond. And I was like, yeah, because that's what you believe. And so we're seeing this more and more because any kind of constraint or any kind of um, uh, conservative Christian worldview gets really in the way of what uh, some folks want to be able to do and, um, you know, serves as, I guess, a, a tacit um, judgment, even if the Christian in question isn't judging. You know, you do you, you have to answer to God, I'll do me, but I can say what I think. But increasingly, Christians are being put on the hot seat for what used to be the dominant worldview and culture. And I'll add this, and I want to talk to you, both of you about this, is that this, the only reason 
tolerance is not a normal thing in any culture anywhere in the world. It's not normal. The normal thing is to be tribal and to hate the other. The only ideology in the world that as its foundation has tolerance is Christianity. And the reason is because our fundamental belief is, for those of you who are not Christian and don't understand this, is that we all have to answer to God for us as an individual. I'm not going to go and to, you know, and meet uh, my Lord and Savior on Judgment Day and have to answer for anybody else but me. Nor will anyone else have to answer for anyone else but them. Therefore, we are tolerant because we know we are humble, because we know our walk isn't perfect, and we really are not in the judgment seat to condemn somebody else about their walk. They are going to have to answer as well. That is not the case for other worldviews. Muslims believe that if you are not Muslim, you are an infidel. That is the fact of their religion. Jews are the chosen people. By definition, since I'm not Jewish, I'm not chosen. I'm the other. Hindus, you're in a certain caste. We can go through this religious, religion by religion. Christianity is different in that way. And because America was started out with Christian ideals, and people had that dominant worldview, we were tolerant, that America was tolerant, notably to minorities almost in, immediately. And that is not the case other places in the world. And for any American to forget that I, very basic idea, well, it annoys me. I don't know what you think about that, Sam. I'm being kind of pointed, but I'm kind of fed yeah, up no, with I, this kind of ignorance about what who America is and what we're founded on and why yeah. we are a tolerant nation. Yeah, I, I think that it's this idea of um, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen phrased it by saying that um, Christianity is the, the world is tolerant in principle because it does not believe, but intolerant in practice because it does not love. Whereas Christianity is tolerant, is intolerant in principle because it believes, but tolerant in practice because it loves. So I think that it, when you're looking at Christianity and the idea of tolerance, you know, because tolerance is not a virtue. It, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's also not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it's not a, a, a positive good. You know, it's, it's not a virtue in and of itself, but it can be used in the service of virtue. So I think you, you really have this dichotomy, you know, because, yeah, be tolerant. And this was, I think, the idea that America was kind of one of the ideas, one of the foundational principles was this idea of be tolerant up to a point. Be tolerant with the idea that you are going to improve, that there is a better, not just tolerant of error, of everything right. that's, you know, wrong. You know, because, of course, we didn't say, you know, sure, we're tolerant of, you know, you can come in here and, you know, murder and rape and pillage. You know, it right. was... And we, we do point out that there is a point where there's no more tolerance. You know, if, if you go around and, you know, you rape a bunch of children, you know, and, and murder them, you're necrophiliac, you know, life in prison, you get the chair, you know, the tolerance only extends so far mm -hmm. because you have to have those principles that you actually believe in. And that's where you have the, this, like the, the leftism thing, the whole you're bigoted thing 
it's moral relativism. There is no actual thing that higher calling you're being pushed toward. And so you, you just end up with this moral ambiguity, this moral malaise or vacuum, whatever you want to call it, you know, that just anybody can do anything and everything is tolerated. G.K. Chesterton, I was just reading a quote from him earlier. He said, uh, the man who does not believe in God um, does not then believe in nothing. He will then believe in anything okay. and everything. And it's like what you're pointing out with like the transgender thing. That's what we're seeing now. As soon as you excise those core Christian principles from America, you wind up with anything goes, not just anything, but everything, the most depraved things. We're going to, to cut off children's genitals and, and force meat holes into them. And then we're going to tell other people that it's okay. We're going to tell mom and dad, you can't cry about it because we're the experts. We know, we know what we're doing it's it's sick and it just keeps getting more and more depraved you know because that tolerance was split away from principle you know the two have to be together in order for either of them to to work well anything goes including like you know the normalization of like pedophilia or whatever we can't we can't have that anymore and and to well there's been some discussion like with Dennis Prager basically talking about how um, the uh, it's okay to look at child porn that's animated because it's not, nobody's really harmed. And the Christian would, who was talking to him at that time objected strenuously because of course that is a problem. And uh so this kind of philosophy does is not uh, neutral. It has consequences and societal consequences, and we're seeing it. Um, and not just in this one area, not just in free speech, but in almost every kind of cultural way you can imagine. Interestingly, it seems that the younger people uh, are are starting to reject this insanity. I don't know if they're, and I haven't seen data on it, if they're coming back to Christianity necessarily, but they're seeming to reject the extremes of some of this ideology and, and the um, political correctness and the kind of sanction of speech um, that is happening everywhere in the safe spaces, business, and this seems to be kind of a, a, an idea that's flaming out a little bit. Do you guys think I'm wrong about that? Well, I think the uh, the uh, the interesting thing is, is that kids will rebel against whatever the dominant cultural impetus mm -hmm. is that's being forced on them, right? So, you know, you get in the in the 1960s, for example, and you had a whole generation of kids that essentially rebelled against traditional judeo-christian society and it's the standards and morals that were in place there and then you know that movement ultimately kind of became the establishment um and so now you have kids and particularly i think you see this among like high school boys i guess in the last podcast we talked about how like all the high school boys are like hardcore republicans now mm -hmm. And it's because they, they're the ones that have been leaned on their whole lives in the schools and, you know, all of the cultural institutions that kids get, get pushed through now. 
And the way to rebel is to be a conservative. Um, and so, you know, you even you I mean, you've got you've got girls involved in this as well. Younger people going more of a, you know, trad role uh, or a trad um, lifestyle. Uh, and a lot of that is a rebellion against this kind of left wing hegemony over cultural institutions um, when it clearly doesn't work. I mean, you know, it's one thing to enforce a standard when people see that it has some sense to it. It's when that standard seems overbearing and doesn't actually produce decent results that you start to see people rebelling. Um, you know, I'm not a sure that, that that applies to the 60s, but it definitely does now because nothing works anymore. And the kids know it. And especially when like kids talk to their parents or their grandparents and hear about an America that they don't even really see much. Um, you know, they're like, well, how come I didn't get that? And what are we doing wrong that we can't have it? And so I think, you know, this is and I've been saying this to the left for a long time, like you guys had better make the trains run on time if you want to hold on to this power, because sooner or later, people are going to go, man, you suck. And I think you're getting a lot of people in society that are kind of saying that now. It's like all of this sucks. They're telling Hollywood that Hollywood sucks. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think you're getting that like, you know, politically, you're seeing it with, um, you know, you're seeing it with Biden and his approval ratings and those kinds of things. They've already told the Republican Party that that the Republican Party sucks. And you're starting to see it in, in an economic sphere as well. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Dick's sporting goods stock is like down the tubes, um, largely because they they admitted that shrinkage as a result of organized shoplifting is like playing havoc with their profits and of course every retail store in the country is going through this and this is woke corporate america you know just saying well you know don't do anything about shoplifters because we don't want to come off as racist or whatever which in and of itself is a totally racist thing to do because it, it's just oh that's what the blacks do and it's like no no that's not how this works you can't shoplift a store. You can't loot a store. It doesn't matter what color you are. This is the standard that we have. And of course, you know, woke means no standards. Well, guess what? No standards means no profits. And Dick's Sporting Goods is finding that out. So you're Good. saying- I don't even care about Dick's Sporting Goods. They, they, they started going off the rails. Remember when they got rid of guns because they were oh, yeah. so righteous? Absolutely. I hope they rot. So well, Sam, you're a younger person. What do you think? Do you think that this is changing? You're, I mean, Scott and I are old people. You're, you're a youngster. What's your thoughts on the? I, I think that there's a, a I, I think Scott really kind of hit the nail on the head to, to some extent with, especially going to this idea of like this lawlessness. This you can call it chaos. You know, we we have certainly morally at this point chaos. You know, whether it's you, you have rampant pornography usage and more than that just degenerate stuff like i mean utter filth the people like the the i i just wrote a, a piece the other day um where i was uh, citing a study that found that the majority of of teenagers current teenagers those who are currently aged between 13 and 17 the vast majority of them were exposed to pornography by the age of 12 and over 80% of them, their first exposure to pornography was rape, bondage, or choking pornography. Over eight, it was, I think it was 84%. Where, 
we're exposed to of 12 year olds this moral degeneracy this utter chaos russell kirk said that the the soul the first need of the soul is order and we've had you know there is that that tendency to rebel against whatever the you know cultural norm is at the time but to some extent that dies away you know kind of like winston churchill pointed out you know he said if you're not a liberal at the age of 20 you have no heart you're not a conservative by the age of 40 you also have no brain and it's kind of that you know you rebel against the thing when you're a kid and then you say uh, you know what maybe it wasn't such a bad idea and so the the there's that sort of shift back and forth always that's you know and we see some of that in politics with you know like slide to the left slide to the right but now you've got this lawlessness this this moral chaos has been reigning for 60 70 years yeah and especially young people are realizing you know like you watch like old films i was just talking to scott the other day about um uh my fiance and i watched the film vertigo Mm -hmm. they're walking through san francisco jimmy stewart and kim novak and it's beautiful they're walking by the bay and there's all these Mm -hmm. like greco-roman style buildings there's young couples sitting on green grass you know having a picnic you walk through San Francisco now and it's piles of garbage, heroin needles and used condoms, you know, it, realizing that th- this thing has been this beauty, which America was, has been taken or more broadly speaking, even the West has been taken. We never got to experience that. The order that comes with it. Now it's everything. It's just, you know, trying to get the most votes, trying to get the most money, you know, into your into your pocket. By a couple of you know uh, autocratic oligarchs, you know, and and bureaucrats, and it, we don't want that. So we we've got this growing trend, you know, of I'm in a homestead. I'm going to go off the grid. You know, I'm going to my I my job doesn't uh, afford me this luxury, but like I know, like my brother just got a dumb phone. He, literally, all you can do is text and make phone calls on it. There's literally nothing else that you can do with it. Not even Tetris. I was like, wow, that's the life, man. Like, you know, well, I'd love to go red. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, my daughter's about to get married and they, she and their friend group, they're all talking about homesteading, finding, a, building a community and having a farm and, and they're all lawyers and engineers and, and, um, you know, on and on different physicists. Um, but, but their dream is to bug out and to have a more normal, rational, ordered life and not have the insanity that is happening. And when you're talking about the depravity, say like just, um, and nobody really wants to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about because it's such a big deal. I had to sit my children down and talk to them really openly about porn, about what it does to their brains, about how it will affect their life forever. And the parents are so awkward and and afraid to do it, but they wouldn't have a problem talking to them about heroin. And and, uh, most kids are not going to pick up a heroin needle. The majority won't. But all people eventually think about um, relationship, marriage, sex, and all of that. And so it's to not discuss these issues and to not uh, full on address them 
is is um you know suicide for your kids and so that now you have all these young men i had this conversation with two of my women friends and they said oh well you know they didn't think any much about porn i said 97% of men are watching porn you think your husbands aren't really you're the exception you think your teenage boys are the exception and they both kind of went ashen I was like, yeah, time to have a discussion in the family. And this, but nobody wants to, you know, it's the thing that nobody wants to think about or talk about. And, and it's part of this, you know, when you talk about a uh, lack of order everywhere, the American spectator emphasizes order, beauty. These are fundamental principles for what we are trying to promote and and grow all of the that's just two of them but it's two of the most important because one flows into the other you can't have one without the other beauty order you have to have an ordered society so you can create beauty and and beauty in turn is ordered you know we all know it intuitively when we see it and we all know disorder when we see it. It's like when you see an ugly Antifa person and they look wild-eyed and insane, they're utterly disordered and they are also ugly. A, a beautiful ordered person, even if they're not like, you know, perfectly classically beautiful, but if they're an ordered person, there's an inner beauty that comes out that we see. We recognize that it's unconscious. There was a big study that... Um, uh, Oh, Ann Hendershot wrote for the American Spectator last week talking about um, why are conservatives happier? Why are liberals always unhappy? Why can AI pick up if you are a conservative or liberal person? With one picture, by the way, very accurate. And what is the difference? And wh why is this? Well, conservatives tend to value marriage and family and, and whatever, and that will be like, well, they're better looking, so they have more choices of partners. And I disagree with that. Anne didn't say this, but after I read the article, I thought, you know, if you have, if you're a conservative and you have kind of an ugly kid, right? What are you going to do philosophically for that child? You're gonna find that, that child's strengths. You're gonna do everything you can to help build that child um, you're going to give him a good haircut. You're going to make sure that he's dressed nicely. Maybe he's kind of got a little ugly buck teeth or is a little weird, but you'll get braces and you'll try to make him look better. You'll teach him good manners so people like him and you'll find out what he's skilled at. Maybe he's not a baseball player, but maybe he's good at uh, robotics. You will, uh, you'll build self-esteem in him so he's successful and he'll he'll um, carry himself well and he'll feel good about himself and then because the fundamental belief is we are not helpless we can make a difference we can change our you know who and what we are and better ourselves that's a fundamental belief we don't believe that well we're just born this way and we're stuck no we sit there and we go we all have strengths and weaknesses we all have talents and some more than others, and we build on them. And so fundamentally, the conservative worldview is optimistic and positive. And 
And so even if you start out, maybe the ugly duckling conservative kid, hopefully you don't end up that way. Because philosophically, we don't, you know, we're not going to do that. We're, we're yeah. going to try to be the best of what we're given. Yeah, I, th I think it goes to the, the order. Uh, yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just say that I, I think it goes to that idea of we were talking about, you know, like Christian principles, really, that's one of the one of the big Christian principles, you know, and you have along the way, you know, various uh, what the early Catholic Church called heresies, um, you, things like Gnosticism, you know, that say that the body is evil, the soul is good, you know, and never the twain shall meet. And you have Christianity is what says, no, they're both you. You're not just a soul that has a body, you know, that animates a body, nor are you just a body that happens to have a soul. You, your identity, your your core, your essence is the two of those wed together. And so we we know, you know, it, surprisingly, it was Nietzsche of all people who said that aesthetics have morals. You know, if you step on a cockroach, you're a villain. If you or you're a hero, if you step on a butterfly, you're a villain. Right. You know, and they, we just we recognize that and implement that with like we recognize I'm not just a soul. It's not just enough for me to, you know, like the lefties, you know, virtue signal. And oh, look at me. I'm being a good person and I'm wearing my mask. I've mm -hmm. gotten my vaccines and a tattoo for each of them. You're actually taking care of the body and the soul together. And you recognize that when you start taking care of the soul, you know, you, when you start disciplining yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to take 10 minutes every morning and pray. I'm going to, you know, read whatever. It can be Aristotle. It can be, you know, sacred scripture. It can be C.S. Lewis. I'm going to read a little bit, something spiritually nourishing every night. You know, you realize as you start doing that, you say, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym too. You know what? I'm going to wear some nice clothes. I'm not just going to wear, you know, uh, my gray sweatpants all the time. You know, I'm going to throw on a pair of pants that have a crease in the front. You know, I'm going to wear a shirt that has a collar, you know, because I, I I feel like I owe it to myself. Like it's that idea of justice, you know, giving to one what's due that I owe it to myself. I owe it to my fellow man as well. I have dignity. I need to treat myself with dignity. So I treat other people with dignity too. You know, going back to that dignity culture that, that you were talking about, Scott. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson said, um, what is it? Wear the style of the times, dress for others, you know, um, because they have to look at you basically having, having the grace to understand that you're not looking at yourself all the time, you know, be decent so that the people who have to look at you, you know, have, like I had this discussion with my son who is autistic when he didn't want to take showers. And I asked him, how do you feel when you get around stinky people? Well, I don't like it. Well, yeah. I was like, so how do you think people feel about you if you stink? You know, <laughs> these are conversations mothers have with their son. And and he, he was like, oh. And I was like, yes, you're you're doing it as much for yourself as you are for the other people around you so that they like being around you, you know. And uh, you know, that kind of won that war actually. So I'm happy about that. Um, but the these kind of basic kind of conservative ideals uh, are, are being thrown out and the consequences across the country are so terrible. You know, we see our cities failing, not like to your point, Scott, not one of these things works. 
So we have, you know, marauding bands of thieves stealing stuff. We all know it's objectively horrible. And yet we're not allowed to say so because of this kind of vague, disordered, open-mindedness with no standards whatsoever. And it's well, really... Um, earlier this week, I guess, well, I, I saw it this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um, uh, Bill Whittle and Scott Ott and, uh, and Stephen Green were talking about um, uh, Spirit and Frontier Airlines. Um, and, and the, uh, the, you want to talk about utter disorder is, you know, what happens when you get, get on a flight from one of those where it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the, the theme song for both airlines is like Saturday night's all right for fighting. Um, and so you have like utter chaos on these flights with these, you know, trashy people that like, you know, want to throw down on a plane for the slightest, you know, uh, for the slightest reason. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a clear breakdown in societal order, some of which comes from, you know, the irritation of having to sit on the tarmac for a couple of hours because these airlines can't get their act together. Um, but, you know, and it's a cattle car and you're in a cramped seat. And I mean, it's worse than a bus now. Yeah, people snap and, and you know, and, and, and so some of this is situational, but a lot of it is, you know, you've got terrible people who are not being informed by any sort of moral code that works um you know and and you get the entitlement mentality that comes out of all of these different things that people are exposed to and and, and all of it is bad um and you know i have so i don't even call it a conspiracy theory because i think it's so obviously true you know i i, I don't think that this stuff is an accident i think that to a large measure um, you have particularly a dominant ideology in control of a lot of these places, whether it's institutions, you know, cultural, political, uh, economic or whatever, that is actively seeking to degrade and demoralize the people so that we are no longer the kinds of folks capable of self-government. I think this has been a project. I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, they they read the the 47 goals of the American Communist Party into the congressional record all the way back in like 1947 or, or whatever, whatever it was, um, you know, and it was all the different ways that they wanted to trash America's cultural institutions and the, the morals and values of the country, degrade the nuclear family, get a hold of education and, you know, teach anti-morality to all the kids. I mean, if if you've been around, you've seen this list of stuff. You know, and it's it's been around forever and everybody's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then you go back and you look at it nowadays and it's like, good Lord, all of this stuff has been done. Um, and I think some of that is, you know, I don't want to blame the whole thing on the left because the right has done a very poor job at best of, of combating this. But what you have at the end of the day is a society full of people that would not have been able to hack it in, say, 1951. OK, I mean, like you you have a bunch of people who think in ways that 50, 75, 100 years ago would have been largely impossible. And you would get run out of the community that you're in for having the kind of mentality that's prevalent in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's it's a lot of the stuff that um, that Charles Murray talked about with, you know, people mm -hmm. no longer want to join organizations 
of course, joining an organization now is fraught with all kinds of things because you have terrible people in the organization that ruin the, the experience for everybody else. And on top of that, the organization, if it actually promotes any kind of positive standard, is shortly going to be you know, beset by some outside group that calls it bigoted um, and, and wants to pollute its main goals. I mean, the Boy Scouts is the classic example of this. Um, and so, you know, they've made it so complicated and so difficult to just be a, a normal person that, like you said, Melissa, people are like, OK, here's what I want to do. I want to go off the grid so that I can live the kind of morality that my grandparents live. Right. Because right. it's not even possible to be plugged into society and have that kind of lifestyle because I'm a freak if I do it. Right. right. Um, there's no television show that I can emulate um, that. Uh, that 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 signifies, you know, this kind of moral code or value system that everybody knows works better than what we're currently doing in in the mainstream culture. Um, and I don't think that you get that organically. I don't think that's just, you know, technology has done this to us. I think that there are people out there who are pushing this. Obviously, it's being pushed in mainstream culture. I mean, they don't make a movie anymore that doesn't push a message. And the vast majority of the time when they get overt about it, that movie tanks and loses a whole bunch of money. I mean, we didn't put it on the agenda to talk about today, but like everything that I see about this stupid Snow White remake that Disney wants to make, I'm like, are you guys trying to lose every dime you put into this? Because this is how you do it. Right. Like we're going to the first of all, we're going to get a girl who is like openly not just she's not Snow White. She's Snow anti-white. Right. Like she's <laughs> Hispanic, which is kind of no big deal. But she makes a big deal about how bad it is that Snow White was white. And then she right. goes on to talk about how Prince Charming is a stalker. And it's like, OK, now what entertainment value is going to be in this movie that they've cast you in, by the way? Um, you know, and the whole thing is, is it's like there is no way that this is just incompetence on the part of these super highly paid people that that are putting this movie together. This is like we don't care if we lose money. It's somebody else's money. And here's the message we want to push on you. And you see this over and over and over again. Um, you know, like I talked about the retail stores, Lululemon fires the employees that try to stop people from shoplifting. Right. If that's not pushing some sort of ideology on people and in a direct assault on the stockholders, by the way, um, and, and it, it's bound to lead to very poor ends. And yet they do it anyway. And so I look at this and I'm you know, I, I see whether it was inculcated in the universities or whatever it might be. I see an ideology that worked that is actively trying to tear down decent society so that what's left of our culture and our and our civilization is is not worthy of self-government and therefore you know we're no longer the kind of democratic republic that we were founded to be which is why you find it very very unusual that these guys always put the word our in front of democracy when they when they you know castigate somebody for for uh, for doing things that they don't like oh this is a threat to our democracy and it's like what is our democracy and if you think about it you can pretty much identify it none of which is good and none of which particularly redounds to a democratic spirit small d democrat 
Well, okay, so I blame Satan. I'm just going to keep it simple. And uh, so uh, beyond that, though, I think that COVID kind of accelerated all of this, where the the social deprivation and the isolation made, I don't know about you guys, but I was kind of stunned with something simple, like my driving skills, how not driving as much for two years um, really affected things. And then when people kind of got on the road, they were more aggressive and 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 unskilled, which is a bad combination because they hadn't been doing it as much. And and that kind of craziness happened in almost every part of society. Kids at, at my kids' uh, high school were uh, getting in fights at, at, at much greater rates. They just had problems with social, basic social interaction and conflict resolution. And now we uh, understand and the... Um, this various governments are starting to impose COVID restrictions again, and they're continuing and it's starting on college campuses again. This is where I say it's not quite a conspiracy. I mean, we know the effects of this. We know what COVID is. And then uh, we also know the what happens when we do these bad things to try to stop the spread of something that is impossible to contain and the consequences societally and health-wise, by the way, are um, catastrophic. You know, Sweden long-term has been in much better place. Nobody likes to talk about that. And they never shut down. They never masked. They never did anything. They're a perfect example of, and, um, you know, other than their Islamization of the country, uh, no small detail and all the rapes and everything else that are happening. But culturally, they didn't have the same kind of uh, issues, not from COVID at least. They have them from other things. So like, you know, we're seeing that as an act of harm, in my opinion, knowing what it's going to do. We know that public drug use is an act of harm. We know that thievery is an act of harm. But if you go to the Barack Obama School of Equity, um, this is just, you know, justice, social justice, and we need to shut up about it. So, um, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy was talking about, um, has been interesting lately about multiple different topics and, and some of this cultural stuff. And we started out this conversation talking about a politician who was adopting the uh, kind of worldview of the left and that kind of inherent leftism where, you know, describing someone you disagree with as a bigot. Vivek Ramaswamy has been kind of going right back at that and has talked extensively about kind of what uh, normal people think. He he used that phrase, normal people think. Um, Sam, do you think that he is making any traction with kind of his comments on like transgenderism and that sort of thing? Um, and do you think that he is representative of a new... Uh, right political thinking because Donald Trump really hasn't been talking in these terms recently. Yeah, I, I think I think really it's not so much a new. I think it's an old. It's like almost like it's last year's model of conservatism, you know. Mm. And so people are hailing it as something you know wonderful, you know. Which I mean, it is better than this year's model of conservatism, you know. Mm. But it it's still not what we need to 
have. It's it's not a conservatism that's going to last because it is, you know, Scott was talking about this, this uh, idea of this is some kind of an agenda. You know, I can't help but think that, you know, people are pushing this. We are, we have become somehow duped into thinking that there is a neutrality in our society mm-hmm. and that we're entering into, especially when we're debating, that we're entering into a neutral space. And we're not. We need to become disenchanted with and disenamored of that idea. We're we're discussing with people who are we our political opponents are those who say that not only is it a human right, but it's a positive good to slaughter unborn children in their own mother's wombs, who say that it is like we were just talking about this whole thing with like porn is good. Children should be exposed to porn at a young age. You mentioned Disney. There was a Disney executive who talked about this idea of maybe we should start a porn site for children so they can learn about porn and sex in a safe place away from their parents who are, if if anybody's going to teach them about, you know, sex, should be your parents, you know? Th- those should be the first people you turn to as a child when you have a question about sex. And so we, you Unless do have- Unless the parents have been polluted by Disney programming years ago, right? ages ago yeah you've got this this agenda that's being pushed and so it's i think naive at best to to enter into our present state with this idea of neutrality to say i'm entering into a neutral space there are two forces that are at war with each other you cannot create no and you certainly cannot preserve a vacuum a moral vacuum and say okay this is just going to be our neutral space. This is no man's land. You guys keep your ideas all the way on that side. We'll keep ours over here. We won't leave our trench and you won't leave yours, which is a lot of what like the the Vivek Ramaswamy uh, kind of conservatism is promoting, kind of last year's model of conservatism. There needs to be this idea, again, that notion of you know tolerance wed to principle there needs to be this notion of no, these principles have to be adhered to. We can't sacrifice them for the sake of tolerance. If either of the two has to be sacrificed, sacrifice tolerance. Because without those principles, there's not going to be any tolerance. Archbishop uh, Charles Chaput famously said that uh, he said tolerance is not a Christian virtue. He said the the left tends to preach tolerance until it becomes the dominant force, in which case it suppresses all dissent. And we're, we've seen that. We're seeing that now, the, weapon, the weaponization of every single institution and agency from Hollywood to the actual FBI kicking in pro-life Catholic dad's front doors and arresting them in front of their seven children for shoving a guy who was attacking his kid. And then knowing they don't have a case, prosecuting him anyway, standing up in the courtroom and saying, first words out of your mouth, we have nothing to present, Your Honor, and sitting back down. We, we have reached the, this degree of toxicity Absurd. There's no such neutrality. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, no, the, it's, it's the idea is the person in that case is the persecution, the prosecution is the process is the punishment, and yeah. you know, just wipe that guy out. It's a message to anybody else who um, would dare um, go against the orthodoxy, the leftist orthodoxy, and stand outside a an abortion clinic and protest. So it's it's a warning. Um, the Bolsheviks are on the rise, 
and they are going to hunt you down and find you and make your life hard if you do not toe the line. I think it was interesting what you're talking about, the neutrality of things. Over time, as um, one of the um, points I made um, at a gala a couple of years ago, I spoke about the fact that if you analogize society or the dominant culture as like a football game, one side or the other is constantly making progress. And the problem that the right has had, generally speaking, is that they have been pushed, their line has been pushed and pushed, and every down, the left has been making progress. Maybe a couple yards here, maybe a couple yards here, sometimes throwing a long pass, like a gay marriage getting passed at the Supreme Court level where it just completely changes the game and uh, puts points on the board for Satan and the left. And then you have, you know, little, little by little, um, there's little incremental fights back. And we're, we nearly have a foot in the end zone on our side fighting. And we have people on our own side, like this congressman, like some of our, you know, the David French's of the world who absolutely lose the, where they're at in the game don't understand that they're about to give the other side points on the board just because they're losing ground, not because of anything that is um, being done. And then policing their own side for and, and, and being hard on the activists like this father or the different, um, you know, name, fill in the blank activist who isn't scorned by the conservative elite in DC those those nasty people who are actually doing the work to make a difference in this country the pro-life people who are just plugging away at that uh, abortion center we have this contempt and we wonder why we're losing and we have libertarians i'm talking to you who who read and watch the american spectator who are like why aren't we talking about an economic freedom why aren't we talking about this stuff when you have it, you can't look at the economic freedom that is occurring in San Francisco. What's happening in San Francisco, what's happening in Baltimore, what's happening in Philly, what's happening in Chicago, what's happening in New York, the economic uh, uh, issues are downstream from the social and cultural ones. And those are downstream from the religious ones, the ideological ones. We have got to stop pretending that we can, you know, um, it, it's a good start when people can feed their own families. That's helpful news to the people who are loving Bidenomics. You know, um, the struggle is real for so many people and they're being told, hey, everything is fine. Okay, so there is a point about that. But all of this is downstream from an ideological center, which is on the left, it's anti-human. The roots of the of climate change are anti-human. Humans must defer to, um, you know, Gaia and the winds and whatever other gods they're worshiping. Um, you know, their pantheism, their paganism, worshiping the, you know, the creation instead of the people who are living there. So this is why, you know, we're talking about this and I'm kind of all over the road, guys, but I think this fits in right now where we've got rules, Scott, you were talking about that won't allow people to eat meat or dairy. So you have all these anti-human um, uh, laws being passed in democratic places 
that is driven ideologically, which is the fundamental belief is that people are bad. Nature is good. Defining nature is always a vague kind of other thing. We're supposed to save the environment. We're supposed to, you know, stop climate change. There's never a, a real concrete how, except for restrictions of things normal people do while the elites can still do them. And right. This is all driven, on the one hand, you have the Christian worldview that is, um, like you say, uh, Sam, honoring of the mind and the body as one, that each person individually is a creation of, of by God and belongs here and is beautiful in its own right. And, and then you have on the left where it's like trying to subsume that and have the dominance over what is natural um it's it's insane so scott maybe you can talk a little bit more yeah, well, about I, this thing I, I, you probably have seen this over the last couple of days if you pay attention to conservative media because it's been around but there is something called the c40 cities project um which is a mike bloomberg funded you know loony wacko climate thing um, and they got the mayors of, you know, all these cities to kind of chime into this this uh, program of activity that, you know, will lead toward, you know, a better world by 2030. Fourteen of these these cities are American cities. It's, you know, like Austin and Boston and Chicago, uh, Portland and Seattle and L.A. and San Francisco and New Orleans and New York City and a few other ones, um, you know, all of whom have like really dumb, really hardcore left-wing uh, mayors. Um, and among the things that uh, that this, this program includes are, you know, seeking to eliminate consumption of meat and dairy products, um, to limit the amount of new clothing purchases to like three a year, um, and to like greatly limit the amount of like short haul plane trips that people can take to like one every three years. So in other words, flying from Houston to New Orleans, for example, they don't want you to do that. Um, and, you know, you have like 14 American mayors that have signed on to this idiocy, um, you know, and like Melissa and I were joking before we went on, like, you know, she's in, in Houston, I'm in Baton Rouge. And it's like, you know, so you're going to like, what, how are you going to have Tex-Mex cooking with no meat and no, and no dairy? I mean, like, that's no cheese, right? I, like, you know, it's everything about this is totally ridiculous. And frankly, um, I, I, you almost want to see them try it because the people will absolutely wake up to, to this. I mean, this is not something that you can make fly. Um, but you know, and the way I always work this, and Melissa, you know this, I'm always looking like, okay, so how do you trump this? Like, how do you checkmate this? Um, and, you know, in the in the case of some of these cities that happen to be blue cities in red states, the way you do it is the legislature, right? You get into the state legislature and you hammer these places. Like, you know, like I've got a couple of friends of mine in Louisiana legislature that I brought this to. And I said, guys, bring a bill at next year's session because New Orleans is, wants to try to implement this. You know, New Orleans's mayor, Latoya Cantrell, is like one of the dumbest individuals in American politics. And everybody in the legislature, or at least all the Republicans, were like out to get her anyway. So the whole point is, is like, okay, let's pass a bill um, that says something like, you know, no municipality in Louisiana 
um, shall uh, ban or limit uh, basic food staples like meat, seafood, uh, dairy, grain, fruit, or vegetables, right? Um, and if you try to You're do that- You're forgetting bugs. You're forgetting bugs. I'm not forgetting bugs. You can, you can ban, in fact, you should ban the bugs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so, you know, and if you do this, then we're going to strip out all the state general fund uh, dollars that go to your municipality. And we're going to deny you um, uh, uh, bond authority at the state bond commission. Like that's going to be, that'll be the statute that we bring. You know, maybe people go, oh, I don't know if we want to do that. It's like, okay, fine, but let's at least have the debate in the state legislature and let's make the local media cover it, right? It's like, well, wait, why are you even bringing this bill? Well, because the idiot mayor in New Orleans said they were going to ban meat and dairy by 2030 as part of this Mike Bloomberg thing she signed on to. And, of course, the local media didn't cover that, so nobody knows about it. Right. But you well, I didn't know about I, I, Scott, I didn't know about it at all. This is news to me. Austin Sam signed on to it. So it's it's viable over in Texas where you are. I, can you imagine the barbecue joints on Sixth Street alone? It's just impossible. There's just no way. Sam, have you heard about this thing? I hadn't heard about it. I, I haven't heard I hadn't heard about it until Scott brought it up. But I, I got to say, may, maybe the only the only positive thing to come from this is getting uh popeye's chicken you know louisiana kitchen getting popeyes to admit that it's not entirely chicken they can keep selling it because it's not real meat we'll see <laughs> i don't I, you know there could be some unintended consequences here but there does seem again to your point sam before this is not neutral ground the this is a constant fight and what i am i am amazed at is the energy on the left to think of new insane ways just to torment everybody they they talk about get out of my bedroom well how about you get out of every aspect of my life just get yeah. off my grill and and uh and let people live um sam i know that you have to go in a few minutes uh when it comes to this kind of cultural rot and this kind of lack of neutral territory. What is your recommendation for, let's just say the Christians out there who are watching, since that's your beat with the American Spectator? Certainly for uh, certainly for the Christians, but uh, you know, again, going to uh, to full circle to Marbach's point in her original Twitter post, you know, really everybody, you know, go ahead, be Christian. like it's it's really good for you um but especially for christians you know pray but for everybody no, no matter no matter who you are you know one of the things that the left does really really well that they that they consistently do and is one of the reasons that we keep consistently losing ground is because we don't do this is the left has a dogma and they adhere to it and they enforce it and if you don't stick to it this is part of the reason that we're seeing this, you know, kind of rise in kind of muddled conservatism, you know, because we've got people who are really liberals or even some of them kind of like diet leftists who are being forced out because they won't adhere to the new extremist dogma. So they're being forced out. They need a home. They come to us and they say, hey, how about you guys? And we, we again, you know, haven't wed that tolerance to principle closely enough. And so we lean too much on tolerance and say, Sure, come on in, you know, big old tent, come on in. We really need to have our own dogma. 
So it, we need to have, and it starts in our, our personal lives. You know, like I was saying with the idea of, you know, start every day with read a little bit of scripture, pray, you know, read good books. C.S. Lewis is, you know, great fun to read, great content. Read good books. Aristotle, go back to the great books, the beginning, Chaucer, Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe, even, you know, read anything, anything that, that's good, that's that's intellectually and spiritually edifying and nourishing, you know, and then enforce discipline, seek virtue in your life. As long as you're doing that in your life, you are going to impact the lives of those around you. It's going to at kind of like a grassroots level, but adhere to your principles, you know, have principles, adhere to them. Don't just say, oh, well, you know, I'll keep my principles to myself and you can have yours. Adhere to your principles. And that doesn't mean you have to, you know, shame other people for theirs necessarily, unless we'll say abort babies and mutilate children's genitals. But, you know, just adhere to your principles. That's it's really as simple as that. And we've lost sight of that as really as a nation. You're sounding like Jordan Peterson, clean your room. You know, I think there's just something about that, like get to work on yourself and make yourself better and it will make a difference. It it does affect society at large. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sam. Um, It's been a real pleasure to have this discussion with you. It's a pleasure to have you at the American Spectator writing for us. Tell everybody where they can find you and um, on all, all your social media, what you're up to so that they can um, get to know your work better. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me on the show. And um, so I, I write for uh, at, at least once a week for the American Spectator. You can find me under authors. Uh, you can find me at the Washington Stand, uh, which is run by Family Research Council, uh, where I, I write pretty much daily. Uh, I've contributed to a few other places as well. You can find me on Twitter is where I'm active as far as social media goes. I'm at Pipe Smokin, S-O-S-M-O-K-N, Papist on Twitter. Pipe Smokin, um, Papist, P-I-P-E, Smokin? Pipe, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien style, Smokin, uh, which I intentionally misspelled papist so uh, there's a bit of bridged alliteration but um yeah so i'm i'm active on twitter and uh i write for american spectator and washington stand pretty regularly so you can always find me and my ramblings and musings there well you heard it folks just like uh liking and following and all the good things for Sam McCarthy. Please do the same for us at the American Spectator. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you c- coming on here. I appreciate all of you who are watching. Please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks for listening, folks. Mm-hmm.